Hey guys, we're so excited to share this message with you on the Center Set podcast. My name is Ethan and I lead worship here at Center Set. We'd love for you to download our app so that you can keep up with all that is happening in our community. Text Center Set to 77977 to download. Good evening, good evening. Who is excited for church? If you're new, I'm a little excited. I sound like I drank five Red Bull because I drank five Red Bull. Uh, but if you're new, my wife and I, we started this church four years ago with a simple dream. We wanted to bring those who are far from God close to him. And uh, if you've been around us for any amount of time, we know this tribe has a vibe. We are loud. Amen. And uh, most Sundays I'm preaching. Uh, today I want to, my, my tone's going to be a little bit different. I'm going I'm to teach a little bit. Last, last week was a very heavy sermon. Today's going to be a very encouraging one. And next week I'm going to light you up with some preaching. You guys excited? I love this collection of talks. If you're new with us, we're on a collection of talks called Bold Christians. And it's a play on words because we are in the process of actually changing our name from Center Set to Bold Church. Anyone excited for that? And uh, it's this collection of talks really around this idea, how do godly Christians survive in a godless world? And uh, God really put this sermon, collection of talks on my heart uh, last year in November, December. And I've been brewing on it, been praying about it. And I finally felt this is the time to preach. And if you're new and don't know what the story's about, the, the book of Daniel is about this 12, 13-year-old boy named Daniel. And he lives in Jerusalem. And his country gets conquered by Babylon. And he has to walk 700 miles to Babylon, where he has to go from a godly nation around godly parents, around his godly school, and a godly culture, and now he's in a godless country around godless people, around the godless king. And often we feel like, man, America has changed so much. How do we not just, like, live through this? How do we survive this? How do we thrive? And Daniel, man, he, he is what we would call a prisoner of war. Some might even categorize him as a, a victim of human trafficking. He not only leaves his parents, leaves his home, he has to go through gender reassignment surgery. And he is surrounded by the spirit of Babylon. But the spirit of God fills him. And greater is he than is in us, than is in the world. Amen. And often when you find yourself overwhelmed, surrounded, particularly for us in Silicon Valley, which is the most unchurched region in the entire country. And Pastor Alec, what does that mean? 98% of the people that live in this valley don't know Jesus. So that means your coworkers don't know Jesus, your neighbors don't know Jesus, your kids' friends don't know Jesus, and it's often overwhelming when we are so outnumbered and the culture thinks we're weird. God wanted to give us a handbook. God wanted to give us a playbook. What do you do when you're outnumbered? Not just to survive, because this 15-year-old kid, within a generation, he became the number two in the country. And that's my prayer for some of you. You wouldn't just go to work, just clock in and clock out. But God would use you to be an influence in your, in your generation. Amen? I'm going to pray and then we're going to begin. God, thank you so much for this word that you have for us today. God, I pray, Jesus, for the, the sermon that I'm preaching. That you'd fill me with your spirit. That you would speak to the hearts of the people that are in this room. God, give us a real vision, a greater vision that we have. Sometimes all we have is a dream for a bigger salary a bigger 401k, a bigger car, a bigger house. God, give us a dream to be used by you for a generation, Jesus. I pray for those in this room that don't know God yet. Maybe you're exploring. Maybe through this message, God would speak to you and reveal to you that he loves you. Because it's true. And everybody said? Come on, everybody said? I'm going to read you a story. It was true. In 1982, a dude by the name of Larry Waters walked into a Navy surplus store and bought 72 
weather balloons. It's going to get cray-cray. He fills them up, ties them to his lawn chair, and ties the lawn chair to the back of his pickup truck. His friends describe this experience as what Larry was hoping what would happen is that he would observe the neighborhood from a slightly different angle and gain a new perspective on life. Larry is my kind of people, so he took three things with him. A six-pack of beer, a loaded BB gun, and a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Larry was hoping to just float above L.A., but what ended up happening two and a half hours later, the Los Angeles International Airport reported an unidentified flying object at 16,000 feet. Think how crazy that is. He doesn't have a parachute. He doesn't have a seatbelt. He doesn't have a helmet. Imagine how tight his butt cheeks must have been clenched, floating in the air. Larry did what he said. What I did, when I didn't know what to do, I did the only thing I knew how to do. I started drinking beer. Larry would have loved to come to Centerset. As soon as Larry landed, he was given a $4,000 ticket for obstructing air traffic and was asked three questions right on live TV. The first question is, Larry, were you scared? His answer was yes. He said more things, but I can't say those in church. Number two, he said, Larry, would you do it again? He said, no, which tears me. Larry's not a Lakers fan because those people make the same mistakes over and over again. Larry, they asked, why did you do it? And I quote, I just got tired of always sitting around. See, so many Christians in this room, you, you, the, the greatest vision that you have is maybe traffic this morning will be 30 minutes instead of 45. Maybe we'll get a, a six-digit bonus or a five-digit bonus instead of four-digit bonus. Maybe my salary will increase 10% instead of 7%. And you think the real ministry, the real way that God moves and wants to change America is with the people that are on this stage. That the real ministry is in this room, but the real ministry is in the workplace. And I want to kind of answer this question. How can we, as the followers of Christ, leverage all of our lives, especially our jobs, to be a godly influence in a godly culture? And the title of my today's sermon is this. God wants to give you a vision for bold influence. Bold influence. And Daniel, he, he was so wise. He didn't just have a right relationship with God. He had a right relationship with those that he did life with. And some of you, 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 you you, you, all you focus on is loving God, worshiping God, and having the right relationship with him. But if you're going to have influence, you got to be, in Luke chapter 2, 52, it says Jesus grew in favor with God and with man. So you can't just be cray-cray in this room. you got to be able to figure out how to do that outside this room. And there are four postures that Christians take. Three of them are crazy. One of them is godly. And the first one is this. We're taking notes. Is separation. Somebody shout Separation. These are the Amish people. These are the Mennonites. These are the people that build a village over here. We have a school, a doctor's office, a haircut place, and the rest of the world lives over here. And they are separated because they're afraid of you. And functionally, Christians live separated lives when they have no friends who are non-believers. My question is, is if God answered all of your prayers, would any non-believers get saved? See, God said, go into all the world and share. He didn't say, go into your home and hide. And sometimes Christians forget the call to be out among those. Jesus was labeled a friend of sinners because he hung out with people who never wanted to come to church. The second posture that Christians take that, again, is not incorrect, is assimilation. Somebody shout assimilation. 
If the posture, is, the, the pendulum is on this side, one extreme, it goes to the other. Uh, in the book of Daniel, there are three types of people. There are the people of God, the people of Babylon, and then a very confusing third type of person, the people of God who live Babylonian. These are the people that say, I love Jesus, but I live with my girlfriend. These are the people that say, I, I love worshiping God, but I got five on it. Come on, you know what I'm saying? They, they claim Christ, but they live Babylonian. They, 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 they do life, they do money, they do sex like everybody else in culture, and there's no difference in their lifestyle. I remember I was, I was 20 years old when I met the very first Christian who never shared their faith with me, but it was their lifestyle. It was the first Christian I met who didn't get drunk with me. That was so convicted that maybe some one of these people actually believe what they're saying. You have no idea. To make a difference, church, you got to be different. you got to be different. Number three is this. Altercation. Somebody shout altercation. You know who these people are. We all do. We, we unfollow these people on social media. These people are angry about everything. Can you believe what they did? And they have a fight with everyone who doesn't agree with Jesus. And often what they don't realize, I wrote down like this, the, this is the most common trap because they see the lost world as enemies to be defeated instead of neighbors to be loved. Let me just kind of call time out and vent. Every time there's like some natural disaster, there's a hurricane, they always interview Billy Bob the Christian. And they go, what happened? It's the Democrats and the gay people, of course. It's like, dude, why do you got to put that guy on TV? And often these people see it as, a, as Christianity is us versus them. And the gospel says very clearly that there's everybody's bad and there's one good guy. His name is Jesus. So if you're here and maybe you've been hurt by Christians, let me just first apologize. I am so sorry that we made you feel like the bad guy. This room is full of misfits and bad guys who have been forgiven by the only good guy. Is anybody grateful for Jesus? Come on. The fourth, though, the fourth is where I want to convince you to be. It's transformation. Somebody shout Transformation. Daniel, this 15-year-old kid, he's separated from his parents, his high school, his culture, and he's put into a culture where it is completely godless, completely ungodly. And not only that, he endures gender reassignment surgery. And within a generation, he becomes the vice president of the entire country. That's my dream for you, that God wants to do that in your life. But how did Daniel... Have the conviction, the encouragement, and the fortitude because he knew, listen to me, he knew God was with him at work. And some of you need a a greater vision of God with you at work because you think you're alone, you think God, God doesn't have a plan, and you're overwhelmed with your boss and your coworkers and everything that's happened in social media and the world, and you're like, God, I'm all alone. And God's like, I'm with you. I'm with you. Let me, let me show you. Daniel, uh, Babylon came into Jerusalem, and they attacked it three times. Every time they came in, they tore down more of the walls. They tore down the gates. Two of the three times, they take people back to Babylonia. In the first wave, Daniel was taken in that wave. The prophet Jeremiah stayed in Jerusalem, and he wrote a letter to the people in Babylon saying, God's got your back. Jeremiah 29 is that letter. Starting in verse 4, if you see on the screen, somebody shout Amen. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all of those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He's speaking to those in exile. 
build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so they too may have sons and daughters. Do life. Have dinner with your neighbors. Work hard and buy a house. This is going to be a long time. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. This is a reiteration of the call in Genesis chapter 1. Some of you think that God's this angry judge in heaven saying, don't do this. These are the Ten Commandments. The very first commandment in the Bible is go and have sex with your wife. Our God is an awesome God. And he reiterates that. Go be fruitful and multiply. His, God's form of his mission for evangelism is to make more babies. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. How in the world did Daniel influence this godless culture? Well, he avoided two common mistakes. And if you're taking notes, you want to write this down. If you're not taking notes, you want to write this down. If you're new, we always say this, you're more likely to go to heaven if you take notes in church. Notes will always ask, like, what are the percent, like 95% more likely to go to heaven? So you want to write this down. Number one, the, the common influence killer that Daniel avoided, and many Christians fall into this trap, lack of respect. Lack of, I have a shirt today that follows with point one. It says, make America kind again. Come on. I'm going to share what that means. Uh, and, any of you remember the show in the, the mid-90s called Martin Lawrence Show? Oh, man, I'm the only old guy in the room. Martin Lawrence was this co- comedian that was gifted a show, and he was very talented as a, an actor, and he would play this obnoxious, loud, rude woman called Shanene. Everybody know who Shanene is? Shanene would have her hand on her hips. She would wave her finger around. Oh, my goodness. And everybody avoided Shanene. And in this example that I'm going to explain to you, I'm going to use the name Shanene to explain a Christian that we should not be. Shanene is a smart, articulous, fearless Christian who speaks her mind because she has convictions. She thinks the problem with most Christians is that they lack convictions and they are spineless and don't speak the truth. Shanene doesn't know why Christians don't take a stand. And that's what's wrong with most Christians. She doesn't care what people think because the gospel is offensive. The problem with Shanene is that she's constantly passed over for promotion. She has no friends at work. And she wonders why everyone avoids her. She thinks the problem is that she's facing persecution. The problem is that she's a turd. (laughs) And no one wants to be her friend. Because she views respect as a one-way street to her. And she doesn't respect her coworkers who have different views. Now, let me give you a real-life example that I think is exemplary. Look at this picture. On the left is a man named Brad or Chad Windemeyer? Shane Windemeyer. Shane Windemeyer. He is the CEO of an organization called Campus Pride. It's the head of the LGBT on every college campus in America. The guy on the right is the CEO and founder of Chick-fil-A. In 2012, Dan Cathy, the guy on the right, it was discovered that he had donated Chick-fil-A money 
to focus on the family, a fa- an organization that loves biblical marriage between a man and a woman. And the media went crazy. Like they literally lost their mind. And the guy on the left, Shane Windemeyer, organized a, a, a protest across the country, protesting Chick-fil-A. And then the Christians across the country, they protested the protest. And they organized an, uh, a, a, a protest called Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day. And unspoken to the media, without any fanfare, without any media, Dan Cathy privately emailed and reached out to Shane Windemeyer. said, I would love to have lunch with you because I want to know your views. And these two men met multiple times. And they actually developed a friendship at one point, Dan Cathy invited Shane Windemeyer into his home to have dinner with his family. Shane Windemeyer was so touched that he invited Dan Cathy to his ski lodge in, in Aspen. In 2013, less than a year after the protest of Chick-fil-A, Shane Windemeyer wrote an article in the Huffington Post titled, Coming Out as a Friend of Dan Cathy. And look what he says. It is not often that people of deeply held and completely opposing views actually risk sitting down and learning from one another. We see this failure to listen and learn in our government, in our communities, and in our families. Dan, Kathy, and I would together try to do better than each of us had experienced before. Never once did Dan or anyone from Chick-fil-A ask for Campus Pride to stop protesting Chick-fil-A. On the contrary, Dan listened intently to our concerns. He sought first to understand, not to be understood. Dan and I shared respectful. We shared respectful, enduring communication. We built trust. His demeanor has always been one of kindness and openness. Dan expressed regret and genuine sadness when he heard of people being treated unkindly in the name of Chick-fil-A. But he offered no apologies for his genuine belief about marriage you will come a point in your life at work where you have to make a difference or you will make a point. You can't have both. And Daniel, throughout the book of, throughout this self-titled book, he is constantly influencing this crazy godless culture. We talked about in chapter one. In chapter one, they're eating, uh, they're at the buffet line. It's not Sizzler. It's the good stuff, Boca de Chao, and everyone's eating. And they're offering food that Jewish people aren't supposed to eat. It's unclean and it's sacrificed to idol. And Daniel has these convictions. I can't eat this. So he goes to his boss in private. He doesn't form an Instagram handle called Vegan Jews for Jesus. He doesn't do that. It's what many people in America would do. He goes to his boss in private and says, can I please, can I please not eat this food? Don't worry. I'm, I have a plan so that everyone at work is going to still make money. The, the company's going to be productive. But can I do it this way? And listen, the Bible is very clear that he asks permission. He doesn't demand it. He wins influence because he's respectful. The other thing that Daniel does repeatedly throughout the book of Daniel, he interprets dreams. That's a thing. You don't need to go to a fortune teller. You don't need to read a magic eight ball. Go to Christians. There are some people who have the, the gift of dream interpretation. And Imagine how crazy this is. There's this king, and he has this dream, and none of the magicians, none of the sorcerers, none of the, 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 tell, the fortune tellers know what the dream is, and Daniel gets access to the king. Let me just set this picture up. This is the guy that defeated your country. 
This is the guy that separated you from your parents. This is the guy that made you walk 700 miles and then had you go through gender reassignment surgery. What would you say to that guy? Look how Daniel, his posture and his tone, look how he speaks to the king. Daniel chapter 2, verse 37. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might. There is not an ounce of bitterness and anger in his voice, even though he has reason to be. In, Genesis, in Daniel chapter 4, the king has another dream. Only this time it's not good. And the king, Daniel says, Belteshar answered, My Lord, if only the dream had applied to your enemies and its, meanings, and its meaning to your adversaries. You know what I would have said? I said, go to 7-Eleven, buy a two-liter bottle, suck it up, because you're about to get what's coming to you, bro. He doesn't say that. He only shows honor and respect because Daniel knew that he had to give respect to his boss, not because his boss earned it, but because God commanded it. I need you to write this thought down. Our influence with people will never be greater than our respect for people. So often what you label persecution is just because you're acting mean and you're losing influence and blaming it on your lack of character. Influence killer number two. Lack of wisdom. Lack of wisdom. This is going to shock some of you, but Daniel did not die on every hill. He was very wise the things that he fought for and the things that he let go. And often Christians make this mistake. They, they fight for things that offend them instead of things that are forbidden by God. And sometimes we take the things that are offensive and we put them in this category, say, we're going to die here. God's like, don't be so dumb. Let me give you three examples where Daniel chose his battles wisely. The first one is this, that Daniel, that was his Hebrew Jewish name, but they changed their, his name to Belshazzar. Daniel means God is my Savior. Belshazzar means the, this Babylonian God is my Savior. And throughout the book of Daniel, you know that Daniel's offended because not once in the book of Daniel does he ever call himself by that name. And then theologians, it took him a long time to figure out, but he actually misspells all the Babylonian names on purpose. Because like, I don't know if my name is Bilbo Baggins or Bob Squarepants, but I'm not using that name. But never once in the book of Daniel does he correct anyone from calling him that name. Because he knows it's not a verse that says you need to be called by a biblical name. Too many Christians die in the hill of offense versus what's forbidden by God. The second one. Second one, Daniel has to go to Babylonian school for three years. In Genesis chapter 1, God creates the heavens and the earth, and he allows Satan to create three things, spiders, math, and the Lakers. Crazy. <laughs> Crazy. So you know at the Babylonian school there was math, because th that's all the demonic right there. But in reality, he also grew, he also was taught the occult and how to interpret the stars. There are over 20 verses telling Christians to not be involved in the occult. There are zero verses telling you that you can study the occult. Daniel didn't just go through class like, ah, oh, this is so stupid. He was the valedictorian of his school. He was the top of his class. When he walked into the king and showed off what he knew, the king said, this man is 10 times better. Excuse me for spitting. Ten times better than any other student in the class. Because he knew there was, there was no verse saying you can't study that. Third one. And this is where, this is the most common mistake Christians make. And I wrote it down like this. Daniel didn't impose his walk with God on people who didn't know God. Let me say that one again because it's going to change your, 
your ministry, your life, if you hear this correctly, Daniel didn't impose his walk with God on people who didn't know God. I was born and raised in a Muslim home and got saved at the age of 24. Um, I was what you call your typical college kid. was extremely thirsty on Fridays and Saturdays. And I was, you know, I drank a lot. And I remember June 15th, 2004, on a Tuesday night, I gave my life to Christ. That first Friday, I was in Barnes & Noble wanting to read about Jesus because he was the first man, the first person that saw all the evil, stupid things I ever did, and he loved me anyways. My whole life, I had to earn people's respect. I had to earn my parents' love with good grades and good behavior. Jesus loved me at my worst, and I wanted to give him my best. And immediately because of his love, when he loved me at my worst, I wanted to change. I came out of Islam where you pretend you're good in front of people, but deep down inside, you're ratchet. You know what I'm talking about? But with Jesus, he began to convict me to stop cussing and to stop drinking. And I began to place these things that God had placed on my heart on my high school friends. Now, if you don't know this, there's probably nine high school friends that we've literally been great friends, some of my best friends, since the sixth grade. We've known each other for 25 plus years. So imagine, I'm Frank the Tank. The moment it touches my lips, I'm the life of the party. (laughs) And now I'm the preacher boy telling people they shouldn't drink. They would make fun of me behind my back because I didn't realize that I was imposing the things that God was beautifully telling me on them, and I didn't know what to do because they weren't listening. So I made the mistake of separation. And I want to use myself as the village idiot because I pulled myself away from my friends for two years. These guys had no other Christians. I had the best opportunity to be a Christian for them, and I pulled away. They let me back in their circle when I, about two years after this experience, I wrote them a letter apologizing for reinforcing all the negative things that they have experienced with Christians that were judgmental, that were critical, and we don't, we love you, we don't love you unconditionally. Daniel didn't die on the hill of imposing his views on those who didn't know his God. Those are the two influence killers. The question I wanted you to write this is this. How do we influence our culture like Daniel? How do we do it? How does a 15-year-old kid who's taken from home, who walks 700 miles, have gender reassignment surgery, become the vice president of Babylon? That's my dream for you. That no matter what company you work for, no matter where you are, God could use you to be an influence in that workplace. Amen? And the first thing I need to realize is Daniel was a government employee. That means even if you work at DMV, God wants to use you. Come on. Daniel was not a pastor. Daniel was not a seminary student. Daniel was not a preacher. Daniel was in the marketplace. I wrote down like this. Many of the people God uses to greatly influence the culture throughout history are marketplace leaders, not church leaders. Let me give you something. Abraham was a farmer. Luke was a doctor. Nehemiah was a commercial real estate developer. Esther was a woman in civil government working against racial injustice. Cornelius was a major in the military. Rahab was a red light district girl. In our culture, she'd be on OnlyFans. 
None of them were in vocational ministry. All of them, all of them had marketplace jobs, and God used them to change the culture. God wants to use you. And there's a theology behind this. In Genesis chapter 1, God creates the heavens and the earth. And for the next six days, he makes the oceans. He makes the land. He makes the sea animals. And he makes the, the birds of the air. He makes the bushes. He makes humanity. And then he looks to Adam and says, and, and Eve says, keep the garden and tend to it. And every day he says, it is good. It is good. He doesn't say it's perfect. Perfect is a different Hebrew word. Perfect means it can't change. Good means there's raw materials that can be rearranged to make it even better. Let me give you an illustration of this. I asked my wife if I can use her as an example, and she says no. So I'm going to use all the women in this room. And hopefully I'm not killed. All the married men know this is a fact. I'm a preacher of the gospel. I cannot lie, okay? When your wife's at church, she's perfect. She takes a shower in the morning. She spray paints her face makeup. She glues on her eyelashes. She puts on clothes. She's perfect. But when she wakes up in the morning, she's just good. She's got to rearrange some things, and then it's perfect. How many of you know what I'm talking about? That's what Christians are called to do. You're called to take the raw materials of your workplace and rearrange them for human flourishing and the glory of God. Investment bankers take cash and interest and rearrange it for equity. Contractors take sand and cement and rearrange them to make buildings. Artists rearrange colors and music and make art. Lawyers rearrange principles and justice and make laws. Guys, in the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Acts are written by the same dude, a guy named Luke. And this doctor, who's a marketplace leader... 40 times in the book of Luke, it talks about Jesus being filled with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. It is one of the mega themes in the book of Luke, that Jesus is filled with the Spirit. But then Acts, which is the set part two of this book, Jesus leaves in chapter one. And he says, guys, don't leave until you have the same Holy Spirit that filled me. You need it for ministry. And in Jesus' ministry, the Holy Spirit falls and fills him, and then he does ministry. In the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit falls, and then fills the church. Listen to this. 49 miracles by the early church in the book of Acts. 40 miracles. 39 of them are outside the church. God wants to use you to change Silicon Valley. He wants to, he doesn't want to use me or Ethan. I want to hype you up. I want to encourage you. I want to fill you with good teaching, but God wants to use you in the marketplace. I wrote down like this. God is concerned with displaying his power outside the church as he is within it. God wants you to bring revival. It was Billy Graham who, who said this just before he died, that the next great move of God would come from believers in the marketplace. And normally at the end of my sermon, I'm like hyping you guys up. But I want this sermon to be helpful and not just hype. And I want to speak frankly to some of you. There is this tendency in my generation that wealth is evil. That wealth is bad. That the people who are rich and prosperous, there's something wrong with them. Nothing could be further from the truth. The the sin divide is not between rich and poor between generous and greedy. And I can give you example after example of greedy people who are very, very wealthy. 
pay thousands, thousands a month for rent, but never give a dollar to build the kingdom. And there are greedy people who are very poor, who take their food stamps and buy alcohol. I can tell you example after example of people in this church that make over a million dollars. And because of them, they have funded this church to reach 220 people for the gospel. And there are people who live on social security checks and they are poor, but they are generous. I want to give you two stories of families in this church that have changed this church because of their generosity. The first is a dude named Ken Versagan. You've probably never heard of him because he's never been in this room. But if it wasn't for him, this church would not exist. I was assessed with my wife in two th- late 2015. I was a full-time engineer. I spent all of 2000 fundraising. Guess how much money I raised in 2016? Zero. Zero. But this man named Ken Versagan from Westgate Church, he met my wife and I, and he believed in us. This man is a doctor making $500,000 a year. And he gave this church $22,000. Gave us a $10,000 gift, and then he gave us $1,000 a month. When I was raising zero, when I got 100 no's, this wealthy man used his blessing to build this church. Second couple that has been one of the most encouraging people and they haven't come in this room in two years. Uh, they used to work with, they had the same profession as my wife. If you don't, well, my wife, my wife is not only an amazing pastor and preacher and just savant and everything she touches, but she used to be a wedding and lifestyle photographer. She's extremely talented. She made some friends in that industry and those people came to our church for the entirety of 2018. But at our one year anniversary, they had their very first kid and life became difficult and they couldn't come on a regular basis. And one day became, one week became two, and two weeks became a month, and we didn't even see them in all of 2019 until Christmas. They came and said hi, they still don't love us. And imagine, seven weeks later, this shelter-in-place began. And from week one of shelter-in-place, they have given this church $2,000 a month even though they don't come in the room. We used to be 200 people. Now we got maybe 50, 60 in here. We, we, there are days I've, I've more than wanted to quit. But these wealthy people used their blessing to build the house of God and empty hell. See, some of you... Let me just be very frank. I'm praying that your salary would triple in the next year so that your giving can triple in the next year. You know why? Because we need a building. We need a building. It's not that I need a salary. You give me a building on Sunday morning, I promise you we'll grow like crazy. Not that we can't grow right now. That's why God wants you to be blessed. He wants you to increase so that you can use your influence to build the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to give you some examples of godly people who used 
their marketplace jobs to change the culture in which they worked and lived. And I'm praying that the Spirit of God would speak to you because this is not a hype sermon. This is a help sermon. First example, this is a business owner whose business was so profitable, they used the profits of the business to build a school to educate children in Liberia. This man's business was so profitable that he would allow employees to take a week off and work in Liberia, and it wouldn't count as vacation. That's called godly influence. Example number two, there are hundreds of stories I've heard of nurses, teachers, medical professionals, and lawyers who were at home during shelter in place, and they began to interact with other stay-at-home moms who were, whose marriages were suffering, whose finances stopped, whose life, they, they heard something about some medical condition. They, they contracted COVID, and every time they didn't just give their professional help, they would add this. Hey, you could say no to this. I'll respect your boundary, but I'm a person of faith. Would it be okay if I prayed for your problem too? Daniels. Third example. There's this man, if I dropped his name, you would know who he is. This man is a leader of leaders. And he is, because of his gift, his entrepreneurial gift, his leadership gift, he is in circles not just with Christians, but with non-believers. And he does executive coaching for the highest levels in our country, CEOs and CFOs. And when he coaches them, he tells them, okay, you got to do these, like five things. You got to work out every day. You got you to gotta get, get alone. You gotta, and then he tells them things from his personal life. Hey, I, I, I read a leadership book every day. Hey, every day I read my Bible for 20 minutes. And he spends times with the leaders of leaders that you and I never would. And he's not a pastor preaching sermons. He's just using his gift like Daniel to influence his culture. Third, fourth one I didn't know about until I studied this sermon. Ferguson, Missouri, in 2014, a, a young gentleman named Michael Brown was unjustly murdered, caused a bunch of riots. Actually, many people in our culture say that was the birth of Black Lives Matter because Christians didn't step up and say that death was unjust. And so his organization stood up. Most people don't know Immediately when that happened, this police officer in Ferguson, Missouri, he called out leaders in the black community and gathered them both with the police officers in his force. And when they got them all together in the room, he said, hey, listen, I'm a police officer called to uphold justice, but I'm also a person of faith. And he quoted 2 Corinthians, it is my job to be a minister of reconciliation. I want to get together to seek the peace and understanding of those who are hurt in this community. And he said this, I want to understand your viewpoint and maybe you can understand mine. And my last example is the CEO of the Dallas Mavericks, a woman named Cynthia Marshall. And she's literally changing the NBA. When she became the CEO of the Dallas Mavericks, she changed the provocative and sexually seductive halftime show and she made it less sexual. And now it's influencing the rest of the NBA. If you follow her on Twitter or Instagram, she is very articulate, very wise, an amazing, outspoken Christian, using her platform to be a Daniel in this generation. You don't need to be a pastor. You don't need to be a worship leader. You don't need to be a youth pastor or a seminary student. God can use you to 
change the most unchurched region in the entire country if you just let him. If you just say, God, I'm available. God, would you use me? This is my prayer. That an army of Daniels would rise up in this room and they'd step forward where God had planted them to be a godly influence in a godless place. And I'm asking that the Spirit of God would speak to you that he wants to use you. If you can bow your heads and close your eyes. Father God, I, I pray that you would empower businessmen and businesswomen in this room, leaders and servants in our church, that they would go out on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday as ambassadors and ministers of reconciliation, that the aroma of Christ would go wherever they are, of God would be with them. That they would rearrange the raw materials of their work and produce something beautiful for you. I boldly ask that you would make them successful in every endeavor. I pray for their salaries, their promotions to increase, not so they can go be balling, so they can go build the kingdom of heaven a blessing of success and encouragement that if God can use a 15-year-old boy, he can use us. And everybody said, Thanks so much for listening. We hope this message impacted you and inspires you to draw closer to Jesus. Subscribe to this podcast and give us a follow on Instagram at Centerset Church to keep up with all that God is doing in our community. Also, we'd love to be in prayer with you. If you have any prayer requests, please send them to info at centerset.church.